those of you who are visiting with us this morning, we are delighted to have you. We need you because so many of our number are sick. Uh, we can't, uh, it's very difficult to imagine how many of our folks are sick. You can look around and notice some of your brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're not here this morning. Uh, many of them are struggling. But some of you are back and uh, haven't gotten better. We're glad you're better. And for the rest of us who haven't gotten it, uh, be real careful. There's some uh, hand sanitizer out there. Uh, there's some things we don't want to share, and this illness is one of them. Last Wednesday night, there was a fire in the Edgewater apartment complex. 240 units were destroyed. 1,000 people were out of a home. Hundreds of firefighters fought that battle all night into the morning on Thursday morning. I'm very glad to announce that not one person lost their life. Two people were injured and two firefighters were injured. I'm very thankful there are people like those firefighters who are willing to go into a burning building and to try to bring out those people whose lives are in jeopardy. But that's not the only way a person might be perishing. There are people sometimes, for instance, who have gotten on boats and they've fallen overboard. Or maybe a storm has come and has capsized the boat and now there are people who are in the water who, as the song we sometimes sing, throw out the lifeline, a life preserver. But you know, there's other people who perish because people break into their homes and they take their life because they want to steal what they have work so difficult or diligently for in this life. The truth is, is that people are perishing. But do you realize that people are perishing spiritually as well? For just a few moments, I'd like to direct your thoughts for an introduction to the idea of a watchman. You know, in the Old Testament times and even New Testament times, there were people who were stationed on the wall of a city. And if there was an army approaching, they would sound an alarm. They would blow a trumpet. They would shout to announce, there's danger approaching. And when I would go to the book of Ezekiel, to chapter 3 and verse 17, God tells Ezekiel, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. You know, you think about Ezekiel and the job that God had given him. I want you to warn my people of the impending doom that they are facing. However, when I read Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 10, I recognize that sometimes the warning does not is not given because the people who are charged with that task are lazy, indifferent, don't care. I'd like for you to imagine, what would you think if you had a smoke alarm in your house 
And it didn't go off but ever so often when it wanted to. Imagine you've got a guard dog to uh, alert you if there's an intruder. Well, Isaiah 56 and verse 10 says, His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. You don't want a guard dog that's like my dog, that all he does is sleep. You see, you want something that is a watchman to tell you of impending danger. In Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 17, though, you even get a little bit different perspective. What if the smoke alarm goes off and you say, hmm, I, somebody go and pull the battery out of that thing. Or what if your dog runs to the door and he's barking and you see someone with a mask over their face at the door and says, well, let's just keep watching television. Or what if the announcer on the television says there is a tornado and it's on uh, Old Smithville Road. It's about uh, to pass north of Walmart. And someone says, oh, let's don't pay that any attention. Jeremiah 6.17 also, I set watchmen over them, over you, saying, Listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not listen. We've got a watchman to warn you, to tell you that there's something coming. But they said, You can tell us whatever you want to. We're not going to pay attention to it. What if those people in that Edgewater apartment building said, Oh, that's a fire. That's on the other end. I don't have to worry about it. It, it won't be here. Folks, do you realize the seriousness of this? Now let me ask you a question. Do we consider ourselves as watchmen for the souls of men? Do we view ourselves as having any obligation whatsoever toward others? Well, I want to take you back to Jude, verses 22 and 23. And Jude speaks of those who are perishing and the need to rescue them. And we're going to learn four things from verses 22 and 23. We're going to learn about the compassion, the caution, the courage, and the conviction. So let's begin our study with verse 22. And on some have compassion, caring. When you look at what Jude is writing, he's trying to explain there are some people who are going to lose their spiritual lives. In fact, he's going in verses 5 through 7 to explain to us and give for us several examples he says, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And... Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to fornication and gone after strange flesh, are an example, are set forth as an example, 
suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. He says, I want you to think about the people of the Old Testament. I want you to think that particularly the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. I want you to think about the angels. I want you to think about Sodom and Gomorrah. These are people who have perished. What if I were to get up here and tell you about people who died in fires, their names, the events that surround them? What if I tell you about people who drowned? You'd say, all oh, those are great tragedies. Yes, the people that Jude is describing are in danger. But let me tell you something about these people. They're not always easy to love. Sometimes when you start looking at people, everybody's got their own personalities. And I would imagine somewhere in those thousand people at that Edgewater, ho uh, not hotel, Edgewater apartment building, that there were some cranky old goats there. I'd imagine there's some people that people just didn't really like the way they acted. They didn't like their personality. I want you to listen as Jude describes these people that are leading others astray. He said, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. Are there people whom you might not want to like or love? But you still have to have compassion. You still have to care. The best illustration that I could think of to bring before your attention is that of the Good Samaritan. And I'm not going to go into great detail of this because I have a whole lot more that I want to say in this lesson. But for just a moment or two, let me take you to Luke chapter 10. We're all familiar that the story of Jesus, there was a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, departing and leaving him half dead. I would imagine that if you walked on this person, you would see them stripped of their clothes. This man's naked. But he's bruised. He's bleeding. He is very, very close to death. You drop down to verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He saw the man's poor, pitiful condition. And this man's most likely a Jew. The priest and the Levite have already passed by on the other side. But this Samaritan, he was a man who had looked at others who had not always treated them very well. It treated them like they were outcast. But he still had compassion. What all did he do? He bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine in them. He set them on an own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. Next day he took out his own money to denarii 
told the innkeeper, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. You see a man who showed his compassion. When I look at Jude, I see a group of people who are somehow really in danger. And if you'll notice the last part of verse 22, I'm going to use three different translations to show you that there's a different way to translate it. A lot of the commentators will point out that it's, it's very difficult to translate. The New King James says, On some have compassion making a distinction. And the word distinction can mean doubt. And so the American Standard says, And on some have mercy who are in doubt. The New American Standard says, And have mercy on some who are doubting. People who have questions, people who are not certain. Are there people who are confused in this world? People who are in doubt? People who are not fully aware of everything that's true and right? Have you ever been confused on a subject where someone comes along and tells you something one way and someone else comes along and tells you another and now you don't know what to believe? On these people, you see them and you have compassion on them. You care about them. The psalmist in Psalm chapter 142 and verse 4 says something that I think should strike a chord within us. He says, Look on my right hand and see, for there's no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. Let me ask you, have you ever felt like nobody really cared what happened to you one way or the other? It's like the song that we sing, you knew I was astray and yet you never mentioned him to me. We need to be the kind of people who care. Care about those who are going to be lost. Second point, let's talk about the caution. If you go to chapter, verse 23 of Jude, he says, Others save with fear. When he says with fear, that does not imply being scared. It means to be cautious. It means to think. And every firefighter must realize the danger of rescuing others. If there's fire in that building and you go in that door, yes, you're going to try to rescue that person, but you have to be careful. You may lose your own life. When I was a student at Freed Hardeman, I took a class in life-saving. One of the things they taught us was if you've got somebody who's drowning and you're trying to save them, you don't come up to them from the front. You come from behind. Because if you're not careful, they will drown you also. Because they'll grab a hold of you, so you come from behind them, you grab over their neck and grab them so that you can take them without them drowning you. 
You need to be cautious when you're trying to save someone else. You have to recognize your own potential susceptibility to sin yourself. Listen to Galatians 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Now listen carefully to that last phrase. Considering yourself lest you also be tempted. You see, there's a a potential for me as the one trying to help someone else to get caught up into it. Like Hebrews 5, verses 1 and 2 talks about the high priest. He said in verse 2, He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. He's subject to weakness as well. You see, self-confidence is dangerous. Paul would put it like this in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. When you go to the account in Matthew 26 of Peter and our Lord, and Jesus had said everyone was going to betray him that night, and Peter answered him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble And Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Folks, you need to recognize as you see someone else struggling with sin, have some healthy caution lest you yourself be brought into it. Number three, we need courage. If you'll notice the latter part or the middle part of verse 23, he says, pulling them out of the fire. I like the older translation, snatching them out of the fire. You recognize how dangerous this is, and so you you go in with the courage, and it does take courage. Amos gives a picture in Amos 4, verse 11. I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I want you to imagine a firebrand plucked from the fire. You've got a piece of wood and part of the end of that wood is stuck into the actual flames of the fire and it's burning. And what you've got to do, you've got to go up and you've got to pull it out of the fire. God said, that's what I did for you. I pulled you as a firebrand already on fire. I like to think about the rescue of Lot's family from Sodom. You remember how dangerous it was? You remember the angels of the Lord as they're running out of Lot or out of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and his family, and they don't turn back. You remember what happened to Lot's wife? In fact, Jesus said, Remember Lot's wife. She turned back and became a pillar of salt. There's danger there. You need to take courage and caution. And it takes courage to be a rescuer. I admire those men and women who go and rescue people 
from burning buildings. I admire those people who go and rescue those people when the waves are uh, very tossing about and the winds are strong, and they go down in that to rescue people who are lost at sea. And I admire those who go and try to reach the lost. You see, one never knows what dangers are ahead. You don't know what you're going to face. Nor do you know how the person you're trying to rescue will react. Will they turn on you? Or will they appreciate you? For just a few moments, I'd like to give you some examples. I'd like for you to think about some people who were devoted to trying to help other people and it didn't always turn out wonderful. For instance, Moses. Do you remember Moses as he had grown up in Pharaoh's house and then he chose not to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter? One day he saw an Egyptian striving with a Jewish man, one of his own brethren, and he rose up and he killed him, delivering his fellow countrymen. And then after that, he saw two of his own countrymen at odds with one another. And he tries to intercede. And I want you to notice what we find in Acts 7, verse 25. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. They didn't appreciate that Moses was chosen as their deliverer. Drop down to verse 27. But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Those words right there are very strong. Because if you go to someone's home and you say, Brother, we're worried about you. You just about quit attending church. You're no longer active like you once were. You don't seem to be interested in the worship of the church. We're worried about you. Do you know what words you're going to hear back? Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? In fact, is that not what you hear today? By who are you to judge? Who put you in that position? I'll give you another example. The children of Israel, as Samuel had led them by judging them as a deliverer, as a judge, as he was growing old, they decided they didn't want Samuel nor did they want Samuel's sons, nor did they really want God. In fact, they had said, give us a king that he may rule over us. This really hurt Samuel because Samuel was trying to help deliver the people. But we read there, the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me that I should not reign over them. You see, some people, when you're trying to save them, don't appreciate you as you try to deliver them. Perhaps the greatest example is found in that of our Lord. 
We all know that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. We all know that Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself for the people. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Yes, this is the same Jesus who prayed from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. You see, the Deliverer, the Savior, the Rescuer was rejected by the ones trying to be rescued. The apostles were going to be sent out and they were going to be those trying to save those lost as well. And in Luke ten sixteen, Jesus said, He who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me trying to prepare them for rejection by those they're trying to save. The truth is that it all depends upon the character of the one you are trying to save. And the truth is none of us know the, the true character of the person we're trying to save. In Proverbs 9 and verse 8, Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. I will tell you that as you go and you try to save some souls, there will be some who will hate you. Who will ask you, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? But there will be others who will look at you and will say, Thank you for caring enough for my soul to try to see that I make it to heaven. Number four is conviction. If you look at the last part of verse 23, he says, Hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. There's two aspects to this um, part of the verse that I think are very important. The first one is the recognition that sin stains. Sin leaves a mark. And second of all, the conviction that someone has to make a change, like a changing of clothes. For just a few minutes, I want to think with you about the sin that contaminates. And I'd like to use an illustration of one of my high school classmates. I found out just a few weeks ago that he had passed away. But let, me, let me tell you what happens to people sometimes. I remember when he came to our school and uh, when we were in physical education, the boys on one side and the girls were on the other side separated by a curtain. And they, the coach would make us play basketball and he'd say, some of you are shirts, some of you are skins. And I remember Larry taking his shirt off and seeing a huge scar on his side where he had been burned as a small child. It was hard to look at, folks. Hard to see a child's body scarred by fire, knowing that there had to be a tremendous amount of pain 
that went with that. Do you realize that as you look at it, you hate that for that person? We need to look at sin and have the conviction that sin does hurt people. It leaves a mark. It leaves a scar. It leaves, if you're going to talk about clothing, a stain. I can use several examples, but just let me take you through some very briefly. Under the Old Testament, a man who had leprosy, if he was wearing a garment, that garment had to be burned. Moses records in Leviticus chapter 13, also if a garment has a leprous plague in it, whether it is a woolen garment or a linen garment, or whether it is in the warp or the wolf of the linen or the wool, whether it is in the leather or anything made of leather, if the plague is spread in the garment, either in the warp or in the woof, in the leather or anything made of leather, the plague is an active leprosy. And he dropped down to the end of verse 52, the garment shall be burned in the fire. You couldn't use that garment anymore. You can't wash it. It's got to be burned because of the contamination that is in it. Now, I want you to think about how we look. Sometimes we get dressed up in what we feel like are our Sunday best clothes. We put on, for us guys, the nicest looking tie we can find. We try to dress up well. You ladies put on all your uh, accessories to look nice and presentable. That's wonderful. But do you realize sometimes what we think may look good may not look so well? When you look at our righteousness that we have adorned, Isaiah 64 verses 5 and 6 says, you meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in the ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. But we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Oh, you mean you look at us and... Our righteousness, how does it really appear? Like filthy rags, stained, dirty, torn, and tattered. That's the way we look, spiritually speaking. The second conviction is that of we need to change our clothes or clean our clothes. And there's only one way that you can make yourself really clean, spiritually speaking. Revelation chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Then one of the elders answered and said to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where do they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. All our, our clothes have been stained. But there is a way to wash them, to make them bright, pure, clean, and holy. And then Isaiah 1 and verse 18. 
Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Beautiful, beautiful clothes. Or as the song says, beautiful robes of white. Well, let me ask you a question. As we think about rescuing the perishing, is there any sense of urgency? Well, it all depends on if you're the one who are perishing. If you're the one in a building that is on fire, do you want someone to come to you quickly and rescue you? I do. What if you're on one of these cruise ships and you fall overboard? Probably going to knock you out by the time you hit the water. But do you want somebody to throw a lifeline for you right then? Or do you want to, to try to float around on top of that water for a few hours? Is there any sense of urgency? Yeah. Well, it depends on if you're the one who needs it. But now, let's make it a little more pertinent toward us. What if I'm the watchman? What if I'm the one that's charged with caring for that person and watching for that person? Ezekiel 3, verse 18, When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at your hand. Verse 20, And when the righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, I will lay a stumbling block before him, and he shall die because you did not give him warning. He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he shall done, has done shall not be remembered. But his blood I will require at your hand. Let me just put it simply. Are we responsible For our brothers and sisters, our neighbors and our friends, most certainly we are. Time is limited. One may become so hardened in sin that he no longer cares. Time is limited because none of us know how much time we have left. In Acts 2 and verse 40, With many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. This lesson this morning has two purposes. Number one, if you're not a Christian, you're an unfaithful Christian, it is to let you see yourself as being in danger. This is your warning message. This is the smoke alarm going off. This is the dog barking and saying there's an intruder at the door. Saying you're in danger. You need to do something to save yourself. There's a plan of salvation which involves faith in Jesus Christ. Repenting of sins. Confessing that faith and being baptized. But now what if you are a Christian? This lesson is to say if you've got a brother, you've got a sister... You've got a neighbor, you've got a friend whose soul is in jeopardy. Let them know that you love them enough to provide for them the direction in the right way. You know what you need to do. If you need to respond, will you come while we stand and sing?